okay, so there's people that put themselves in that situation. And I would actually argue that theoretically most people put themselves in that situation. Even the people coming back from war have, have put themselves in that situation because like I said before, everybody can pull themselves out. It is possible to do. Um, it's not necessarily easy. It's never the easy route to go, mm -hmm. but you can pull yourself out. So while you're not necessarily the one that, you know, your back or, you know, you, you're not, it's not necessarily your fault that your arm got blown off, you know, overseas, the situation that you're in currently here is 100% controlled by the actions that you take in the future. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. And you got a big bad rockabilly scene I know you got a big bad hip-hop high And you got a big and old suffer that five Hey, this is Blast Off of Johnny Rocket And I'm here with my ray of truth, Miss Braylene Lightheart Yeah, been a while, Johnny, I'm loving this Yeah, it's like a McDonald's thing, right? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we took a little hiatus And uh, we appreciate you guys still sticking by with us uh, It's been a, a month or so A little over a month, actually and uh, I, I just, a lot of things were happening and life changing going on in my realm and Raylene had nothing to do with it. Uh, but I, I am so sorry, um, guys, uh, you know, been listening forever, but we really appreciate you still standing by with us and we are back and uh, we're going to have a great show. I'm excited about our show because we haven't talked about Liberty. Raylene, we've talked on the phone a few times in the last mm -hmm. month, um, but, you know, I still haven't had my fix for libertarianism in a while. You know, and then it's true. It, yeah, it is true. I, I, I miss talking about, you know, ideas that are, you know, important to me. And it's hard to find, you know, a lot of people at work, you know, where you want to talk about libertarianism. And, <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about, Johnny? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, it's actually funny because I was in a, a group for uh, Enneagram. It's like this personality thing. And, and I realized that I started talking about liberty with these people because I, I need to talk yeah. about these concepts. <laughs> yes, excellent. I, I'm out there going, you know what? I'll just just sneak in the politics over yeah, here and in it. this yeah. way. No, yeah. right? I, I can't help it. I, I mean, you just end up doing that. And I end up yep. just end up talking about liberty and everyone's like, what the f is wrong with this guy? So anyway, so I think this is going to be a really interesting topic because this is something we've kind of tap dance around and we really haven't really gone into it. And it's about homelessness and drug addiction. And mm -hmm. uh, homelessness is an extreme form of poverty characterized by the instability of housing and the inadequacy of income, healthcare supports, and social supports. This definition includes people who are absolutely homeless, those living on the streets, sometimes referred to as rough sleepers, shelter dwellers, people staying temporarily in shelters and emergency shelters or hostels, the hidden homeless, people staying on their couch, on their friends and family's couches, and others who are described as underhoused or at risk of homelessness, which I think we all are. We're all about a paycheck away. Today, right. we're talking to Rocky Ferenberg, a libertarian, podcast host, and musician. Rocky Ferenberg is an accomplished musician, published writer, and political activist. Over a decade-long battle with drug addiction and being released from prison, Rocky made the decision to change his life. 
Since 2012, Rocky has graduated from college with seven degrees and is in the middle of working on his master's degree in economics. As part of his substance abuse recovery, Rocky and his bandmates formed the most community-minded band in the area. They played every benefit they could and even started an annual Christmas benefit where they sponsor families in need. Rocky has released two albums and is currently working on his third record. He was previously the host of the Noisemaker podcast. Rocky has worked as a concert promoter, ran for state legislator too, and has written for several political and musical outlets, including Think Liberty, where three of his articles were in the top 10 articles for 2018. Rocky currently works as a truck driver and works in sales part-time. He is in the middle of publishing process for a book on songwriting and is writing his memoir. All right, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Rocky Ferenberg. I hear everybody talk about how it's so different whenever there's not all the Hell sound yeah, effects. Rocky. It, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We try for the kick-assness without the sound. Yeah, because you know when, when people are doing the show, you know they don't hear the, you know when the actual guests don't hear the sound effects, and then when the actual show gets released, it's all sprinkled in and it sounds amazing. So, hey man, thank you so much for being here. And me and you've been talking for about two or three years, and off and on about podcasting because you were doing the Noisemaker podcast and. You and I had talked, and you know, you just wanted some help here yeah. and there. And I remember you kind of reaching out to me, and like, hey, man, uh, how do I do this show? And what are some of the techniques you use? And what equipment do you use? And I took the time to actually talk to you, and uh, we actually ended up talking about a month ago, and on the phone. And I'm like, dude, you have such an interesting story, and you have a lot of knowledge on these things in your life. You have a very interesting story, especially being in prison, facing drug addiction. You were homeless. I mean. I, I think there, there's no better person for this subject than you. You are a subject matter expert on homelessness and drug addiction because you were there. But you've turned your life around, and now you're a success story. And I think that's <laughs> really cool. So yeah, starting off, just what is your personal experience with homeless and the homeless lifestyle? And maybe you can kind of cue our listeners in you know, on some important things that you want to bring up. Well, I kind of had maybe a little bit of a different take on uh, on homelessness. When when I was homeless, it was, you know, in the midst of my drug addiction. And so a lot of what I, um, so like some sometimes it would be like you're just out, you know, smoking meth or banging meth all night. And, uh, and so, I mean, you're just up all night. You get kicked out of the party house. You and a couple of people roll out to like the desert because I'm in the high desert area out here in the West. And you basically just continue the party out out in the desert until, you know, morning time. And then you go back into town and you link back up with your uh, group of street kids and uh, everybody gets linked up with where they're going to go, what they're going to go steal or what the dealer needs. And then you're just back off to that. And then, you know, a party at night and or, you know, whenever it starts getting dark, you just try to find the people who... Uh, uh, want to get high and and you know you basically just barter out a some sort of unspoken deal to kind of hang out at their house during the night and get high and come up with a plan to keep 
keep this uh, sickness rolling. Um, there's been a few nights where I was uh, homeless and didn't have anything. So some of those nights I had a vehicle that I could crash in, uh, my own vehicle. Um, you know, I, I did spend uh, some nights at a homeless shelter and, uh, I mean, sleeping in the boats and stuff. Uh, that was in a- when I was back home in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, you know that I mean that was that was kind of towards the end of it. Uh, you know I didn't really want to be in the, right. the homeless shelters anymore. I mean the other thing that a lot of people do too is a lot of people uh, will. Uh, I never personally did this, but a lot of people will actually catch some sort of uh, misdemeanor crime uh, so they get their three hots in a cot in prison or in in a count. I've heard county. about that. Yeah. Um, so you know I, I mean there's a lot of different methods that people use in order to uh, when they're homeless in order to survive. So they'll just like stay in prison or jail for three or four nights just so they can get some food and shelter. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, I mean, if you, I mean, if you cop a petty theft and you're already, you know, your life's already a mess. I mean, what's a petty theft? I mean, you, you know, you could spend, you know, maybe six months in, in jail. And so, I mean, if you, if you time it right, you could hang out in jail for about six months over the winter time. Now, I never, I never really was in a position where I thought that that was the, um, the right move for me as a, as a homeless individual. But, um, I knew of other people that did it or people that would catch a crime and, and be like, ah, I'm not even going to fight it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to let the, the system take as long as it needs to, so that I can just hang out in here and, you know, be warm and, you know, fed. I was about to say well-fed, but you're not well-fed in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Does that kind of matter where you live then? Is this something that's a little less rare in maybe California? versus like Chicago? Well, it's, it's really interesting because, um, I mean, obviously there's, there's the huge homeless problem with people in California. And a lot of times I hear people reference, you know, the good weather being a, a factor there, but, um, growing up in Anchorage, Alaska, we have a horrible homeless problem and I still go back there on the regular and their homeless problem has increased uh, drastically. And, you know, they basically have the same thing that, you know, Salt Lake or, um, California has where you're just driving down parts of town and they just have just tent cities all over the side of the road. Now, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. they used to have those tent cities, but they'd be like out in the middle of uh, like the woods. Cause in Anchorage, um, like in the middle of the city, you'll just have like a big chunk of like thick forest, you know, cause it's Alaska. So mm-hmm. uh, we'd go out there to go smoke pot and stuff in high school and everything. And, and uh, you get out there and you'd stumble across a homeless camp that has probably about five or six, uh, tarp style tents just in the middle of uh the woods in a park somewhere like where people go jogging and stuff but now the homeless problem has grown exponentially to the point where uh they're just camped out on the side of the road i mean and then the cops come in and shoo them out they move to another section of town and it's you know just this uh just this game of uh moving the homeless people around exactly it's like a catch-22 there's like yeah so they you know they say get away you have to leave and then they go somewhere else and then they start it all over again. It's just, it's cyclic. It never ends. Um, I actually have a question, Johnny. Can I just really fast? Is, okay, so I have also noticed it's getting way worse where we were at in Seattle. I mean, they are now on the actual streets and and this is happening now. And then we're uh, across the water from Seattle and there are far more homeless here. Is this actually due to government? Um, Is this something we can uh, definitively blame on the state, Rocky. Where? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I don't think it's necessarily a problem that's been solely created by the state. I think that more or less, um, you're going to always have people that are homeless for whatever reasons, whether they're just uh, lazy individuals or whether there's um, 
there's mental uh, factors there, which I would say that just about anybody who even wants to be homeless has some level of uh, issues with them. But whenever you ha- whenever you have a problem like this and the state thinks that they can step in and fix it through basically intervening, it, it seems to always create much more problems than it ever fixes. And what you, what you see mm-hmm. now is you see things like, uh, like in California where they're they're taxing people more to take care of this homeless problem, but they're not actually implementing any real solutions. So they may right. be taxing more people to hire more police forces or, or, or more police officers to have them uh, shoo out the, the homeless population, but they're not actually doing anything to uh, fix the problem. And that's because a lot of times you can't, it's the same thing I tell people with sobriety uh, when I go speak at prisons and stuff, you know, uh, this is all up to the individuals. Uh, you can give like a helping hand, but you can't just pick somebody up and carry them somewhere and expect them to do what you want. You can't love somebody. You can't right. love somebody into sobriety. Yeah. You can't, you know, like them into sobriety. You can't mind will them into sobriety. They, this is just something that everybody has to do themselves. And it's the same thing with homelessness. Well, okay, so mm-hmm. we, you said that, you know, the government, you don't think is the, the problem, right? But they actually make things worse by getting involved or intervening. But what do you think the solutions could be um, to the homeless epidemic going across the part of our world? I mean, it's happening in pretty much every major city in the United States. What are some of the solutions? Is it a free market solution? What's your thoughts on this? Is it a private property thing? Mm-hmm. There was um, something I was listening to the other day where they were talking about um, it might have been on Dave Smith's show. They were talking about zoning. Maybe it was on Lions of Liberty. Anyway, yeah. they were talking about zoning laws in California and how, you know, people have tried to put up, um, you know, housing and stuff there, you know, like the tiny houses for homeless people. And, mm-hmm. and you know, because of zoning laws, uh, the state's making them take them down. I mean, I think that could be a viable uh, a viable thing to try. Um, it, it sucks that the state won't allow people to try that. Um, but also the other thing is, I mean, if you give, if you give a tiny house to somebody, okay, so this is the same problem that I would see in treatment centers. So treatment centers have only enough beds, whether or not they have, you know, they might have 20 beds, but they might only have funding for 10 beds. So they let 10 people in. Okay. So there's people that are in the treatment center that are there just for, so they can get out of prison sooner. They can program, get a lesser sentence or get lesser time, get out. But then there's might be somebody who really needs the treatment who's on the waiting list who, and I've seen this happen before people that would be on a waiting list and then a spot would open up and they would go to contact that individual. And that individual has already overdosed or committed suicide or something like that. And then, you know, so that person that was taking up that spot for a lesser sentence, theoretically basically killed the other person or, or, or held that spot hostage. So that person that really wanted it, couldn't get it. So you might have these houses get set up and uh, you might put people in there, but you also might be putting people in there that have zero desire to change and are just taking advantage of a system, whether it's free market or government. The difference with the free market versus the government is that the free market has the availability to weed those types of people out, even if they can't. Yeah. So you might not be able to tell okay. right off the bat who wants into the house, but you can you can definitely you know, take action in a reactionary stance, but the state can't sure. necessarily discriminate against anybody. Be as discerning, right? Yes. Rocky, what do you think about the actual effectiveness of treatment and especially government run institutions? 
I mean, is it really good? I mean, I, I don't know. You've been through this, you know, you know, people, you may have been part of that. I don't know. But I mean, is it effective at all? I mean, is there, is it doing anything? Uh, last time I was up at a, a treatment center, uh, I had a guy that was really hounding me. He's like, what percentage of this program helped you? And I just told him, I said, I said, no percentage can help you. Um, and, and all of it can help you. It's all depending on, you know, what you want out of this. And so the, the idea is that it's, it's not necessarily if it's private or public, it's all in the, what you do with the information that you have. You can go to the best treatment center in the world. And if you don't care to change, you're not going to change. But what I would say more like as a policy prescription is that, I mean, obviously drugs should be decriminalized, legalized, whatnot. Um, there's mm -hmm. a separate argument for between the two, but whether or not they're decriminalized or legalized, what they should, what should be done if you're going to still have the state apparatus in, you know, in effect, which we most likely will, uh, the money that's being allocated for the drug war should be actually reallocated towards issuing treatment towards the individuals that want it, not putting people into the criminal justice system and then saying, oh, you can get out sooner if you do this program, because it's basically just it's basically just sucking uh, money and resources from the federal government, from taxpayers, from the state in order to mm -hmm. push these, get these people out on the street who want to get out and keep committing crimes. You just you stop having a criminal repercussion for just simply using drugs and you reallocate that money to actually give the uh, treatment to the people who are hungry and actually want it. That's how you see your recovery rates uh, drastically increase. I'm with you. Beautiful. I love it. And really quick, it's yeah. just like, you know, just because you're at Yale doesn't mean you're going to get, you know, you're going to graduate. You know what I mean? Just because Correct. you made it there and you're there, it doesn't mean you're going to graduate. It's what you put into it, what you do as an individual. And that's it. Thank you, Riley. Sorry. Oh, oh yeah, no problem. I love it. Uh, very solutions focused. So um, I hope we can keep this conversational, Rocky, because I know I'm not interviewing you specifically with this question, <laughs> but but let, let me ask you more about the solutions. So when you're talking about the tiny homes and having those being prohibited, zoning does seem to be a huge part of the creation of poverty. So would you suggest uh, if we were just like free, free throwing ideas out there, more mixed use zoning being allowed so people could put houses on top of their businesses or having grocery stores closer to these neighborhoods um, instead of convenience stores only being the only thing allowed because people spend when they're poor wherever they can walk, right? Um, do you think that's the kind of stuff that we, we need to do uh, where the free markets, people can put whatever businesses they want in certain neighborhoods and areas that kind of thing. Do you think that would help reduce homelessness overall, especially when we were in the beginning of the show describing all the different names or different types of homelessness because couch crashers and uh, people with their families where they can't afford their rent, so they have to sleep on grandma's couches and in, in, in her basement until they can move out. Do you think it would help uh, reduce those types of homelessness? So, like, okay, so I do, I do think that it's very ironic that where you see the biggest collections of homeless people seem to be on public property and which is mm -hmm. managed by the state. So I don't think that there's not, a, there, I don't think that there's, that there isn't a disconnect between those two things, but yeah, I mean, zoning should certainly be backed off. I mean, if I have a, if I own a piece of property and I want to open up a, uh, like a two apartments, a portion up top, of it. 
Yeah. Or, or yeah. whatnot. I mean, then, then of course I should be able to do that. The, the sad thing is that we, we don't live in that world right now, even though we should. My band members and I, uh, it was the first year, maybe it was the second year we were doing our Christmas benefit. My vocalist had a tattoo shop and he had a huge open building and mm-hmm. we were, uh, he wanted to feed uh, homeless people for Thanksgiving and so uh, I said, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm fine with that. I said, let's get this planned up. So we actually went to the state and tried, or went to the city and, and said, told them what we were doing. And they wanted, it came out to be like almost $1,000 uh, to pay the state hmm. to feed homeless people. What? It was, it, we had to get permitting. We had to pay uh, the state, a, a state worker holiday pay to come down and, and, and temperature the food and stuff. It was a laundry list of stuff they wanted. Um, and uh, I told him, I said, I said, so basically you're telling me that I have to give you the same amount of money. I mean, with that thousand dollars, I could buy everybody who walked through the door a winter coat because it's November. You know what I mean? Like, right. so, I mean, sure. I, but I'm supposed to give that to you. If you guys care about, you know, helping these people, then your guy should come down and do this pro bono. You should give me the permit sure. pro bono. This is, you know, it's ridiculous. So, yeah, you definitely have this 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 element where the state certainly wants to control what you do with your property and you have to basically uh, pay the, uh, you know, pay the extortionist um, his fee in order to Word. do whatever you can, you know, do whatever you want with your property, whether it's letting people crash there or, or feeding them or whatever it may be. So, I mean, th- th- that's sure. definitely a big issue is, is state interv- state involvement right. in private property. And, and even rent is so high and the houses are going for so much more because it costs so much in regulations to build. That's true. Uh, Braylon, right? I'm glad you brought I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great point. That's the reason that a lot of these homes are going up. And a lot of that's like an unseen thing. A lot of people just think, oh, it's just so much greed. Well, right. I mean there's there is some demand and some supply demand stuff. I mean if if people are willing to pay two or three thousand dollars for an apartment a month, you know, mm-hmm. th- maybe that's you know it's in high demand. People are willing to pay that kind of money for it. But the reason yeah. also the reason it is that much is all the laws, the regulations, the they have to follow. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. all of it. And so that that is another contributing factor. You know, I'm not saying it's everything, but I mean, yeah, absolutely. So I have another question about the uh, hospital beds or homeless beds. I know with the hospitals, there's a really big problem here where where I live about certificate of need. Does that have anything to do with the homeless shelters and treatment centers also, Rocky? Do they have, is it the certificate of need being a problem? Uh, That, the certificate of need comes, sounds familiar. Um, I believe I actually received a certificate of need whenever I was in the uh, treatment center in Alaska. I think that was for some of the medical stuff. We had to go down and get some medical stuff done and everything and, 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 Mm -hmm. and whatnot. So i I'm just not as familiar with that, but I think I remember hearing that whenever I, I had to do that. But yeah, I mean, you you basically get these, as far as what I recall, if it's the same thing that I received, it was a um, it was basically just a, uh, a letter from the state saying that, yes, you know, Rocky Ferenberg is homeless, uh, doesn't have any way to pay. So, um, you know, the state needs to step in and pay for his health, health and care sure. and stuff while he's in this treatment center. So... My understanding of it is that they only allow so many people to be helped. The state only allows a hospital to, to 
Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and it gets in the way of helping more people and, and doing that kind of stuff too, is what I believe. Well, so. well, I mean, I, here's the other thing is that actually as being libertarians, I would think that that would actually be more ideal. You would want the state basically not saying, yeah, everybody come in and everybody get help because we know that, mm-hmm. you know, resources are finite. And so you, it would seem like there would have to be a cap on it. So I don't want to say, you know, damned if you do and damned if you don't. But I mean, if they're saying we can only well. issue so many, I mean, th- to a certain extent, that sounds a lot more logical than most of the stuff they do. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. I'm with I mean, you. I, like I said, I don't, I don't think anybody should be turned away from, I don't think anybody should be really be turned away from treatment or I don't think the state really has a, a way to really d- decide who, who gets and who doesn't. And that's kind of where you start getting into the, the ideas of like socialism where like, you know, the, does the old man get a new hip or does the young man get a new knee? And so, you know, right. I don't really want them, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't really want them picking winners and losers, but at the same time, if they say we only have a finite amount of resources, so we can only uh, help a finite amount of people, I think that that's a much more logical stance than to say, "Hey, everybody that's, who thinks they need treatment, flood in here, and 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 we'll just figure out a way to pay for it on the back end." That's a that's a good point. And again, I like I think you you brought this up earlier is you said that the free market would are better at deciding who really needs it versus the state. The state just it's mass, whatever. It's like. You, 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 and you. It's all random. Whereas like a free market solution could be, these are the people who are actually trying to change their lives and we're better at identifying these people. The the individuals who are actually wanting to make that change versus the person who just gets selected so he gets a reduced sentence. You know, and I, I... well, even even at that, I mean, it, it's not doesn't necessarily always have to be that either. I mean, I think that's a big element of it. But also, if if I want to just help somebody because I feel for their plight, then I mean, I can help somebody if I want to. That doesn't have to be necessarily that they're that they're doing the things I think they should. Because once again, my my money, my property, my I can decide what I want to do with it. Um, but you can't really have the state deciding. Okay, well, I'm going to help this person because of their plight, but I'm not going to help this right. person because of their plight. I'm only going to I'm only going to view this person on what they're trying to do to help themselves, but I'll help this person on, on their, you know, on their poor uh, circumstance, even though they aren't helping themselves. So that's a hard thing to distinguish the, for the state right. to distinguish, but it, it's easier for um, somebody uh, in the private sector to be able to do that because they can do whatever they want with their, with their money. And most people that are trying will receive some type of help or funding because people are People are compassionate. I know there's this very pessimistic mm-hmm. view of the world among several people, but what people have to realize is even when the glass is half empty, it's still half full. So, very nice. Beautiful. Yeah, very yeah. nice, man. Okay, what about your experience, especially in the homeless, being homeless, being a an ex drug user, addicted drug user? What is your experience? How's that made you a better person? I mean, can you give us some examples of how maybe it changed your life and? Maybe how you look at things differently. Yeah, uh, that's that's a really hard. That's kind of a hard question, even though it almost seemed like it was an easy question. Because it, it's it's. I don't know if it's necessarily made me um, a better person. Um, my my experiences have certainly made me more well rounded uh, in, mm-hmm. in 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 some aspects. A lot of what I can tell people is that I have um, I have the ability to to make decisions and stick to them, you know, and and I can I can kind of go out there and and say I'm gonna do this thing and and do it um, because I just decided one day that I was gonna stop, you know, sticking needles in my arms and you know I I did it, you know. There's there's help of course that comes with that people that mm-hmm. can help you along the way, but um, 
I, I don't know if I necessarily see the world. I, I see the world in a different light. My wife has never done drugs or anything. And so we have some pretty interesting conversations back and forth and some under, it takes a little bit of understanding for her to see things the way I see them through my eyes and for me to see them mm-hmm. through the eyes of somebody who's never done that kind of stuff. And sure. so oh, it's, yeah. it's a culture shift too, right? I mean, you oh, yeah. kind of are coming from a different culture, especially in the, you know, the homeless world and the homeless culture is completely different than the business culture, right? Or the soccer mom Cindy culture, right? <laughs> yeah. Johnny, this is Cindy. I can't believe you started up this silly show again. I really thought I'd talk some sense into you. I guess I was naive to assume a capitalist pig like you could ever change. I mean, have you even read Paul Krugman's book, Arguing with Zombies, yet? Literally, that book is describing you, Johnny. You're the zombie, don't you see? Blastoff was dead, and you should have just let it die, but no. Now it's risen from the dead like a zombie. Well, if you think I'm not going to leave you a bad iTunes review, you've got another thing coming, Mr. Goodbye. You know what I mean? It's completely different. It's a little, di- it's strange. I mean, it's foreign. It's but, very yeah, But it's foreign. also, this is where empathy is created, is having these dialogues and having these discussions and putting yourself in other perspectives or, or uh, places. Sure, yeah. Is so important to be able to have that grace um, giving grace to others only comes, it helps you have grace for yourself or giving grace to yourself helps you give grace to others, right? So it's all about that community mindedness. And that's where voluntarism is going to succeed by mm-hmm. doing that. We, I agree. We, we also have to realize that just because, so just to use my wife as an example, because that's the, the example we're in, just because she wasn't homeless or out there um, using drugs or anything, we all still experience different types of trauma or different types of issues in our in our own world. And so those issues are different for different people. And so we kind of have to kind of have an understanding. But I mean, they're kind of linked back to link back to what you were uh, asking me. I think that one of the biggest things that that's come from my my substance abuse and my drug addiction is and, and the, the recovery side actually is the ability to know that people are people have the ability to change and you kind of begin to recognize people who want to change versus people who just kind of want to stay stick, sick or stay in the and the, the funny right. thing is it doesn't matter if you're 60 years old or not um i mean you can you can always change your life you know, I, you, a lot of times I tell, Beautiful. a lot of times I tell people, I think Jason, Jason Stapleton talks about this guy, but, uh, the guy who created Gore-Tex lining was like 65 or something like that when he created it and died mm-hmm. a multimillionaire. I mean, I mean, when I hear people say, well, you know, uh, are amazed that I go to school, you know, sitting in my semi truck and they're like, oh, I've, you know, I'm probably going to drive truck my whole life. I always tell them, I'm like, well, you don't have to, you know, I mean, if you want to cool, but you don't have to, it's not like you're, That's cha- right. it's not like you're chained, man. And I usually talk about the, the guy who created Gore-Tex and people are kind of, I think people kind of leave, you know, almost, almost inspired, but it doesn't take long for people that have lived in the muck to be, uh, to, to have that negative self-talk and, uh, you know, continue to discourage themselves and put themselves down when they get alone. That's yeah, awesome. Rocky. Damn. You're right. Anyway, so make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro-liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on how many nights per week, Raylene? All seven. Yeah, on 190 plus radio stations, coast to coast, and is pro liberty every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, 
So this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas with the beautiful Raylene Lightheart talking to Mr. Rocky Ferenberg. Rocky, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Rock and roll. Great show. Yeah, it's very interesting, Rocky. And you know what, man? Thank you so much for being here. Rocky Ferenberg, you did the Noisemaker podcast. And uh, I, I heard it was kind of like a rock and roll show. You're talking about music. What's What are you doing now? Well, I actually kind of, uh, I kind of put the kibosh on it. I was having a hard time really trying to pinpoint down um, the best way to kind of uh, market, what to market. And uh, I, I moved into a job about a year ago that was, um, had some really crazy hours and it just wasn't, it was sucking more time and energy than it should. So I didn't necessarily put it into it formally, but I, I've been thinking about revamping, um, the show kind of under a different title. Um, once I can figure out how to kind of work out my schedule and really talk, not just necessarily about music, but talk about just, just that I want to talk about. Oh yeah, dude. Um, and and just have it be a thing where I just you know I I don't really care about trying to market anything to people or trying to generate revenue just 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 a thing that I just want to do just to be uh, just to be me I thought that possibly bringing so the whole idea of the Noisemaker podcast was to take independent underground and unsigned bands and give them an interview style platform to showcase their music that's a great idea and though. I thought that that would be yeah I mean I thought it would be great um, but it turns out that from what I can tell that from what I can tell from my numbers and everything it looks like it's just a big circle jerk of musicians mm -hmm. um, <laughs> of independent musicians and okay. it, I don't I, I'm not finding that there's people out there that are actually interested in um in going it's almost like i can go to reverb and i can listen to these bands anyway so why would i come to the show and listen and, it, and maybe they don't care as much about these people's personal lives and personal experiences and the ideas behind the songs or i don't know what it is but i just the the growing and maybe it grew better than some other people's shows i just wasn't happy personally with the with the slow growth that was there gotcha so um, and yeah, as you guys know, I mean, doing a podcast, it takes a lot of time. And I know, you know, Johnny, that, uh, working with musicians is like trying to herd cats. That's the same. It's, it's the same it's thing insane. as libertarians. I got experienced with it. <laughs> you know, it's same thing. Yeah. Libertarians, same thing. Okay. Rocky, what we do here on this second segment, it's tradition is we do a thing called rocket fire. What we do on rocket fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related, and if you can answer these questions, actually drug-related, related, and if you can answer these questions <laughs> between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. All right, Rocky, Rocky are you ready to play Rocky Fire? Bring it on, Johnny. All right, brother. Question one. What is an opioid drug, and what are some of the risk factors that are there for addiction? So an opioid drug is something that's uh, uh, derived from an opiate opium plant. Even some uh, synthetic opiates are being considered opiates nowadays, and synthetic drugs are basically created in a lab to kind of recreate the chemical base of a drug. Um, some of the uh, risk factors of, of uh, opioid use is obviously overdose and um, a uh, uh, you know homelessness, uh, addiction. You know you can break out in handcuffs. 
Um, now, there is an interesting thing that I heard about opioids that I'll mention here. Um, I, I don't know if it's 100% accurate, but I do know that the two substances that you can die from withdrawals from are barbiturates and alcohol, which mm. alcohol is legal. Um, but I do believe that you cannot die from an actual withdrawal of from an opioid or from heroin. Um, you, you feel like you're going to die with your abdominal pains and stuff, but uh, I don't know. I believe that there is no cases of people dying from withdrawal unless it was suicide. Interesting. Question two. Why do you think prescription opioids have become so widely misused in the United States? Because the U.S. has a culture of overindulgence, and I think that we we see that in many different aspects of our life, including in uh, – drug addiction or, or alcohol, almost not necessarily like an overuse because, I mean, other countries that use alcohol, you know, like Germany, you know, you're drinking beer at the age of 16, but there just seems to be this disconnect between having a respect for a tool rather than, uh, you know, just going all out. But the, the over, um, per, the over, uh, prescribing of opiates in America is definitely been a, a major issue. And uh, I do think that a lot of that has to do with um, some of the uh, over prescribing of opiates in the military and just the, uh, the um, cronyism that's uh, intertwined between the pharmaceutical companies and a government as a whole. I agree. I agree, man. Question three. Are the homeless asking for money because they want to buy drugs and or alcohol? Uh, you know, I, What's I the won, percentage? there was a guy, there, there was a guy in Alaska that said, uh, had a sign that said, uh, won't lie, need a drink. And I saw another guy who, uh, he was, he was a famous, uh, homeless guy up there named Homeless Bill. And it said, uh, Homeless Bill needs rich warm, woman. So, I mean, I think some of these guys are being, uh, <laughs> are being, uh, 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 honest. Uh, one time we were driving around and I, uh, we pulled over and gave a homeless bill, a, a big old fat nug of some bud. And, uh, he was he was super stoked. So I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, they're they're not out there because uh, they were like you know good Christian guys that you know just happen to fall on hard times. More than likely, they're out there because they got some sort of drug uh, drug issue and they're self medicating. So I would say that a uh, I would say that um, probably upwards of ninety percent. 95% of those people have a substance abuse issue, but I would say probably. Probably slightly less than that. I would say maybe eighty percent are actually out there just to asking for money just to get drugs. A lot of there's a lot of those videos out there. Who knows if they're fake or real? Where they give a homeless man some money and he goes and buys sandwiches and food for everybody else. Because what you have to realize is you have to realize that these people, even if they are buying drugs and alcohol, they still have to eat food. Right. No, that's true. That's right. And they still have friends and they still have people, tight knit families, more or less, in their communities. And especially yes. the homeless community. Our question four, what are some of the myths associated with homelessness? There's a lot of things that people just assume uh, you've been there. What, what, do you, what are some myths that you think that people just don't realize? Um, I, I do, even though I have kind of talked about how a lot of these people, they can, you know, pull themselves out and there's stuff to help them. Uh, I think one of the biggest myths is that these people are just um, – lazy or that they just don't you know they just don't care um it was a hard it was a hard thing i went i went a year or more sticking needles in my arms not wanting to and um you know so it's not necessarily that these people don't want to be in that situation i'm sure that a lot of them don't want to be in the situation that they're in and it's it's a very 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 weird thing uh to be 
you know, I, I think back, I just think back to my situation and I think it can be contrasted to uh, homelessness. But, you know, I, I, I remember back to, you know, being in a bathroom and, and doing up my shot and shooting up. And even whenever, you know, the, the feeling comes over, you just, you know, just wishing that, you know, you weren't, you weren't there, you know, you weren't in it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a, I think there's a big disconnect between just people just like, oh, you know, almost like the Everlast song, you know, um, what it's like or whatever, you know, you, you really don't know if somebody is really there just being a, or if, you know, they're, they're actually in the, in the middle of wanting help, but not knowing how to get it. Right on that question five. How quickly have you seen someone become addicted to a drug? I mean, like, what's the shortest amount of time? Where, like, for one day they're like the, uh, um, the star of the football <laughs> team, and the next day they're down with, you know, homeless Bill. You're yeah. saying in Alaska, you know, doing meth. <laughs> uh, it, it it happens for the people that are have a the people that are prone to become addicted. It happens very fast for you know, and whenever I try to talk to younger people, I always kind of tell them, you know, look, you know, marijuana is fun. Drinking alcohol is fun. If it wasn't fun, people wouldn't do it. But there comes a point in time whenever people are selling their bodies, living on the streets, stealing stuff in order to get these drugs. And at that point in time, it's not fun anymore, but you don't really realize where you're at until you're there. And so I said, you know, I, like my nephew, I told him, I said, so, you know, I just don't want to say drugs are all bad and they're scary and all this type of dare tactics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because whenever you go out and you smoke pot and the worst thing that happens is you get a stomach ache from laughing and eating too much junk food, <laughs> you're gonna think that you're gonna think that Uncle Rocky is a liar and I'm not a liar. I'm not gonna Um so I mean it, it, there but there's also some people that, you know, have I've seen them do meth with us a few times and they just don't do it again. So it, it's very, very, very interesting. But I'll tell you that just to kind of actually answer the question, probably the quickest I've seen somebody in my personal life become addicted is I, I drank and I drank pot and smoked or <laughs> drank pot. I smoked pot and drank. You drank the bong for, water, uh, Rocky. You drank the goddamn bong water. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> but, so, you know, I was already drinking on a daily basis and stuff, so you might say I was already addicted, but this is usually what I talk about when I talk about um, entry-level or uh, gateway drugs. So, gateway drug, yes, marijuana or cigarettes was the first thing I ever did, but the second I snorted my first line of cocaine, that was whenever I decided that I wanted to do everything. Uh, wow. Instantly... Instantly, whenever I took that first line, I was like, this is, this is what I've been looking for. This is where I want to be. So I would say my, my snort, my first line of cocaine was really that, that where I realized I, this is it, you know? Wow. So it was like instantaneous. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the way that I describe uh, cocaine use to people that have never done it is you snort the line. And it just immediately takes your breath away. You get this overwhelming sense of well-being. I mean, the world could be coming to an end and everything's okay. And then in 15 minutes, you need more. Wow. Yeah. I had, <laughs> yeah, I had a, I'm not going to tell you my drug experiences, but whatever. All right. <laughs> Question six. What are the most common circumstances that you've seen people that have led them to become homeless? Is it jobs and radio? <laughs> um, you know, it's. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, I don't know. I mean, it could be. <laughs> There's a uh, uh, everybody's path to to becoming homeless is is vastly different. Just like anybody's path coming out of homelessness is going to be different. Um, I think that um, I think a lot of a lot of these people 
our vets are people that come back from uh, overseas that are all from the wars or that are all from the right, military, right. Mm-hmm. from how, how hard they've been uh, treated over there and how poor the system is set up for these people when they come back. And, you know, once again, I mean, anybody in the world can pull themselves out of out of their situation. So I don't want to absolve those people of their own personal responsibility. But at the same time, you get these, you get this uh, state that is more than willing to, you know, take this child, this 17 year old kid and send them overseas and have them do things that are, are, you know, nobody should have to endure. And then they bring them back and they basically say, you know, Hey, thanks. Pat, Pat on the butt and send them back off. And they got, virtually nothing and so you have these people that are broken out there and uh and they don't know how to fix themselves broke sticky and confused i got it man question seven <laughs> is it easy for the homeless to find work is it really that easy or is that also a myth because i'm really dying to know this question the answer to the question i know the question i mean i wrote the goddamn question i'm just saying like <laughs> i mean I, I really want to know the answer i mean is it that i mean easy like can some homeless guy be like can i sweep your you know, jack in the box late at night when everyone wants to get out, get out of there. I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, if, if we had the availability to be able to hire somebody on at a um, price point that we thought were fair, was fair as a, as a company, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't have the minimum wage, you know, somebody could come sweep the parking lot, you know, and they get, you know, food or whatever, any type of barter, any type of, of trade or, or with our own personal property. I think that you would see the availability for people to, uh, homeless people to be able to get jobs and stuff. But you would also begin to, I think you'd also begin to see homeless people be able to start competing for those, even those smaller jobs. So, I mean, if you have, um, if you need your parking lots at, you know, Carl's Jr. swept and you're the, the owner of the Carl's Jr. And you have two homeless guys that show up, one that um, is dirty and scrubby and the other one that looks like he's, you know, he went out and found a way to take a shower and get cleaned up for the day. Of course, you want the cleaner guy mm-hmm. on your property sweeping. Mm-hmm. You don't want to portray a, an image that you, you know, of you have nasty homeless people hanging out outside your business but once again you're also not going to get you're not going to get that at a 15 dollar an hour baseline sure pay. yeah i get it i get it all right man. Question eight. what are some negative externalities of large homeless populations in seattle or alaska california doesn't matter will property values go down and does that make that neighborhood more susceptible to crime in your opinion uh, yeah, I mean, it, it makes, it makes neighborhoods more susceptible to crime. Um, except for, I will point out that most people, okay. So like if you live in like a poor area of town, uh, more than likely your, your stuff is a lot safer than if you live in a richer area of town. When you go to steal, uh, you don't go to the poor area because the poor area doesn't have <laughs> You go to the rich side of town, <laughs> you steal true. there and you bring it back and you sell it to the, 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 uh, the dope dealers and stuff in your poor neighborhood. But yeah, I mean, nobody's going to want to live, you know, nobody that has any money is going to want to live around the whole, you know, a tent city. So you're not going to see, you know, um, Tom Cruise's mansion right next to the, uh, the homeless strip in, uh, Salt Lake city. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there, yeah, there's, there's externalities, of course. I mean, you're, you don't want to live, you don't, you know, if you've got money and you can choose to live next to, um, a dilapidated area of town, or you can live in a, you know, on like, you know, five acres, you know, outside of town, you know, with a beautiful garden and all this other 
I mean, which one are you going to pick if you if they cost the same amount? You're going to pick the place that's nicer. And so, yeah, there's there's definitely is externalities for um, these huge collections of homeless people. Um, and, and a lot of times the homeless people don't see it that way because when you're in your you don't you don't see it. Sure. Um, but there's all different types of problems and, and crime. Crime can occur. I mean, here's the other thing. If you if you live next to a tent city and you have all types of nice inside your house um yeah i mean you're you're probably going to experience at at minimum vandalism from people that feel cheated mm-hmm. you know right that makes sense mm-hmm. all right man question nine. do you feel that possibly homeless people deserve their predicament i mean did you deserve what you got um some people some people i think um people okay so there's people that put themselves in that situation and i would actually argue that theoretically most people are put themselves in that situation even the people coming back from war have have put themselves in that situation because like i said before everybody can pull themselves out it is possible to do um it's not necessarily easy it's never the easy route to go mm-hmm. but you can pull yourself out that mm-hmm. is the honest to god truth so while you're not necessarily the one that that, that you know your back or you know you you're not it's not necessarily your fault that your arm got blown off you know overseas the situation that you're in currently here is 100 percent controlled by the actions that you take in the future and so it's a very hard thing i think it's more of a percentage wise and you're a living example really... of that right i mean hell dude you you were in jail you're in prison and now you have like 10 degrees yeah. and now you're doing all <laughs> and you know you're making you're changing your life and you're a good man. I mean, like you, I feel like you have reached certain levels that you never thought you would have gone to. And here you are I, talking on a, on a podcast about your experiences. And we really appreciate it, by the way. I, I really do. And I, I just got to say, I agree with you 100%. Thank you. All right, man. Question 10. What, in your opinion, is the connection between liberty and music? All right. And I'm just jumping off the, the homeless wagon here and I'm going into music, but... <laughs> Do you think there is, what, what is your, you know, you're a musician. What is your, you know, what, what is your opinion about the, the connection between the two? I think that music has always been kind of um, a way for people to be able to express themselves and be able to um, exercise elements of free speech. Um, even, 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 you know, more back, you know, so like you, you, one of the things that I always think is really interesting is you have, you have an area of time where you have like uh Bob Dylan singing about Mr. Tambourine Man, you know, as a form of like a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And then you have rap music today talking about how they slang dope. Mm-hmm. So the, the change in how you talk about something is different today. And it went from having to be masked and hidden to being more out in the open, you know. Right. And so music has really allowed for people to be able to express themselves in, in uh, a more open way. Now, with that also being said, uh, the music industry has been overrun by these gatekeepers that are attempting to try to uh, control what goes what goes out and mm. and, and, and who kind of rises up and it's been a big battle between you know what what's come out in the early uh, in the early 90s whenever people were able to get their hands on four track recorders and you had the kind of the grunge scene the underground scene and you also had the early uh, hip-hop scene and stuff and these these two things I think are one of the big things that have allowed us to be able to have home studios I mean besides people creating the technology and stuff it was these people that were using that early technology 
technology to kind of go against the grain of uh, the gatekeepers from the 80s that were basically picking, you know, who gets what, you know, who gets to be poison right. and who gets to be Tesla, um, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, I, I think that music, especially today in, in the ways that we can have easy access to create music allows uh, everybody to have a type of voice. Now the only problem is rising above all the muck that is out there on the uh, inter internets. Got it, man. Okay, and really quick, a bonus question. This is a question that's been going on in Washington State now for quite a while. How much of the you know the financial housing collapse of 2008 to 2012 timeframe how much has that contributed to the homeless population? If you had to give a percentage, what would that be? Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's a very interesting question because the housing market came, came crashing down between 2007 and 2008. And you also had the, uh, the very it beginnings did. of, right. but well, hold on. So you also have the very first people that were deployed for the uh, Iraq war in 2003 now coming coming back around about that time and, and, and being reintroduced to, to, uh, uh, the, the society back here. Right. And so I think that there's a, there's a big, uh, correlation between those two things at the same time, you know, kind of boosting, uh, uh the homeless, homeless population. Um, I would say that the, the, uh, uh, soldiers returning from war, um, have a higher percentage than, uh, people losing their homes, I would say that um, a lot of people, a lot of people that, this is hard, this is a hard question. <laughs> no, I'm just curious because uh, I don't, I mean, I really think like, you know, people who actually bought the homes and stuff actually had a, you know, have family and stuff like that and they could lean on people. And I mean, yeah, they may have been homeless for a week or two, you know, maybe, you know, if they just were like flat out on out of luck or whatever, hard luck, whatever. But I don't think that that is the cause of this epidemic we're dealing with now is because of government it is government but what i'm what i'm trying to say is it's not like that is the root cause of all this homelessness that's my opinion. well yeah because it's it's definitely a multifaceted sure, question because exactly. you've also seen you've also seen the uh kind of almost there's a stigma with bankruptcy of like seven years you're just out of it you know nobody's going to touch you with the 60 foot pole and now it seems like that's been lessened to almost like five years and even you know three years into your bankruptcy, people start looking at you again. And I think maybe that might also be uh, kind of part of what uh, the, the housing crisis. There's too many people that are now bankrupt that have now lost everything. It's not in everybody's, it's not in these lenders interest to not lend to those people, even though they are high risk. And so you have these high risk yeah, that's uh, right. sub, that's right. uh, subprime mortgages, mm -hmm. but now you have this influx of people that have horrible credit and you have nobody to lend to unless you lend to these people again. So you have to almost shorten that time. That right. And so, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of factors that mm -hmm. kind of, kind of go into this, but I definitely think that some people, um, some people who lost their house might have went, you know, might have went into the homeless uh, community. But you also got to think that a lot of times the people that are, own their house or or uh, or have bought a house or had, you know, a, a job that they, you know, something like that. These people more than likely could probably were in a situation where they would 
pull themselves back up on their on their feet, you I'm know, after you. having something like that. But the other, but the one other side, I'll, I'll just to finish this off, I would say is that you also have to look at a lot of these people that were getting subprime mortgages also were people that should have never got a mortgage in the first place. I agree. And so a lot of these people are not necessarily hundred percent responsible. So I would say that there is a percentage that did go move into the homeless community, but I would also agree with you that uh, probably a vast majority of those people um, were, you know, went to family's house, got back on their feet. They may not own a house now, but they moved back out and are renters or whatnot. Bam, one hundred percent. Bam, that's right. Fire, give it up for Rocky Fairburn. Bam. Nice job. Good I job, think uh, the idea isn't it called chasing the dragon when uh, that's when you're that, doing that. that yeah. To recreate, I think it's about heroin, but or, or it opium is. or something. It is, yeah. But it's still about that drug, and then always trying to recreate that experience of the first time. Is that the concept? So yeah, I mean, a lot of times people say it's the first time because it's it, it, theoretically that should be the time that you get the highest because you don't have any type of um, resistance. Uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. tolerance to the this uh, substance. Um, I mean, but you know, I mean, the first time I shot up, I think I shot up maybe like twenty cc's, which just wasn't very much. And then the next time, I think I jumped up to like fifty and then sixty Oof. after that. Yeah. And it was just, yeah. I mean, so you jump, you jump quick, and you're because you're wanting to get as high as you possibly can. And you know, a lot of times that's also where overdoses and stuff come from is, gotcha, is yeah. people trying to get you know if you've been banging you know f- and and just so everybody knows banging is shooting up. So if you've been banging forty or fifty cc's for a week straight, uh, you might want to you might jump up to seventy or to eighty cc's just to try to get that high that you're looking for. Gotcha. And what, I mean, once you start getting into that range, I mean, you're you're looking at potential overdoses. Thank you. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back. We're going to finish this show up. Rock and roll. Ground control to the voluntary vortex. Ground control to the voluntary vortex. We are out of time on this episode, but if you would like to hear the conclusion of this interview, as well as the after party, the all-nighter, and some new surprises to come, please head on over to supportblastoff.com and come backstage where we always have tons of beer and cigarettes. See you there. Come on.